I know that was a long passage, uh, but hopefully you've never read, maybe, or hopefully you've read 1 Samuel. But just in case you haven't, that was good. Um, by show of hands, who's ever played the game Sardines? Oh, okay, nice. So for those who haven't, it's one of the best games in the world. It's the reverse of hide and seek. So it's everyone looking for one person. And we used to play this all the time. Um, I grew up in rec centers um, as a child, and sometimes we would have like uh, sleepovers and things like that. So we would play all night, trying to hide in some of the best places you can imagine, like trash cans, cabinets, storage bins. And I loved it. It was kind of that adrenaline rush. But there would be times where I was the first one to kind of go out and everyone had to look for me. And you know me, I'm trying to find the best place. So often, seconds would go by, I would hear nobody. Minutes would go by, don't hear any kids' footsteps. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, like, oh, I'm, I'm hiding good. Nobody can find me. But then about 10 minutes passes by. A little fear comes into my heart. And I'm like, I'm alone. They forgot about me. This must be a cruel joke. Everybody went to sleep. And so fast forward, uh, fast forward some years, and I felt like I was part of another cruel joke. But this time, it was even worse. I was walking with the Lord uh, a couple years in college, and I woke up one morning, and I remember feeling, I remember this feeling like it was yesterday, actually. Like, I remember trying to pray in just darkness. Feeling like no one hears me. It kind of felt like an empty house. You just hear nothing. And God seemed distant. He seemed silent. And it was like I was a little boy all over again playing sardines or a lonely game of sardines. Fast forward eight years. And uh, this is maybe just the other night. And me and my fiance are actually in tears. Uh, Because we're wondering, where is God in the midst of our chaotic world of engagement? And I found myself saying, God, have you forgotten about us? And if you're honest, you maybe can relate with some of that. That you spent some time walking with God and you've experienced or are experienced these type of feelings like, God is silent, or he's forgotten about us. Doubts creep in, our prayers hit the ceiling, the Bible feels like a drag to read, Jesus feels historical, not personal, and we're left wondering, how long? How long will this lonely game of sardines go on? So when it feels like God has forgotten about us, 
Is there anything we can do to remind him that we exist? And maybe more importantly, if we remind him, will he act? So to answer these important questions, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And so if you have your Bible, please open it back up. Um, I'm not going to reread it. But what I am going to do, or what I was hoping to accomplish, was that you're kind of familiar with this story as you heard it. And so I'm going to hit on four occasions that cause Hannah to wonder if God has forgotten about her. Four occasions. And I know that she's feeling forgotten because in verse 11, or verse 19, Usually we don't start in the middle, but I'll start there for just a second. Verse 19, and Elka knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And then if you go backwards to verse 11, Hannah prays to the Lord, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant. That's the struggle. Does God remember me? Does he see me? Does he care? We're going to look at four occasions, and the first occasion happens in the first two verses. So Hannah is introduced as a wife, actually maybe kind of like a second wife, or first, depending on commentaries you read. But then another title was given that she had no children. And just to be clear, polygamy is actually not outlawed in the Old Testament. But it doesn't mean that it was okay in its original design. So in the original design, right, we have Adam and Eve. That is the way it is supposed to be. But here, because fertility and having the ability to have have children passes on your legacy. It passes on your inheritance. And so Elkanai, he's like, oh, I had a wife, or I have a wife who can't have children. That means my legacy can't go on. So a man who, who lacked faith, oh, let me move on. Let me go, on to, let me go get a second wife, because she can be pregnant. That's kind of what's going on here. So that's one layer. And then the second layer of being a barren wife. I will humbly admit I, have, I know nothing about this. So I looked to an interview of a, a TV personality. Her name is Ainsley Earnhardt. She works in New York. And she was asked, what was it like to be a barren hopeful mother. She said this. She said, we had prayed and prayed. You walk down the streets of New York and you see baby carriages and strollers. And then just with tears in her eyes, we wanted it so badly. I started thinking, this is all my fault. And she couldn't continue the answer. So no wonder Hannah is feeling like God does not see her. 
or does not remember her. In fact, Hannah feels like God has forgotten about her womb and her future. We'll move on to the second occurrence. But this time it's in verse 6 and 7. Verse 6 and 7. And her rival, that's the other wife, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Okay, let me just set this stage then. It didn't evoke the response I thought it would get. Imagine me outside the steps of EBF, and I am um, crying. We'll say that. We'll say I'm crying, sad, and then member after member of my family comes by me and just starts poking fun at me. Like, oh, Lance, man up. Lance, you're stupid. Get up. Just starts provoking me. And you, as the innocent bystander, are looking like, what in the world is going on? Like, why doesn't someone care for Lance? And here, Hannah is being bullied, is being tortured about the fact that she can't have a child. How worse is that? And by her own family. Eventually, this leads to depression. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. So I think what's running through Hannah's mind, man, the Lord has closed my womb. I'm being provoked by this other woman, and I can't even eat because of my depression. I think Hannah feels like God has forgotten about the cruel bullying coming her way and the mental state that that leaves her in. She feels like God doesn't see him, doesn't see her. Move on to the third occurrence. This is actually right in the next verse, verse 8. And I remember, or I'll read it. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. I couldn't help but, but read this and just think about my own guilty self. I was like, wow, such a guy thing to do. Like, I do this often. My fiance is um, very concerned. Something has deeply moved her. Something is on her mind and has moved her emotions. And then, in my attempt to comfort her, I make it about me. That's what Elkanah is doing here. He's making the situation about himself. And she couldn't take it no more. She's, she's out of here. She's like, I got to go. That's happened to me on a couple of occasions. So just a learning lesson for guys out there that's in, no matter what relationships you're in, especially with women, the pursuit is empathy, not self-centered sympathy. The pursuit is empathy, not self-centered sympathy. 
And here's the crazy thing I think Hannah might be thinking about. Is that Elkanah could have prevented this. He could have. He didn't have to take a second wife. He could have kept going with her. He could have had faith like we're about to see Hannah have. Or like we've been seeing her have. So I just imagine as he's trying to comfort, the, wall, the, the words are just hitting the ceiling. They're just going in one ear, out the other. Because like, man, you could have prevented this. You could have prevented the teasing that's coming my way. You could have prevented, you could have stood by me. And so I think Hannah feels like God has forgotten her because no one, not even her spouse, understands her. In fact, she, she probably feels a sense of betrayal from her God-given relationship. And maybe you felt like that. That no one understands people that are close to you have betrayed you. So we'll move on to the fourth occurrence. And this is actually um, between the verses 9 and 18. Once again, we're at a church, or the temple. So Lance is back on the steps outside of EBF. I'm really sad, crying, weeping my heart out, actually. And then all of a sudden, one of the elders comes by and says, Hey, Lance, you drunk? That's exactly what happened here. Eli, who was supposed to be a good priest, walks by Hannah, sees that she's crying and says, hey, are you drunk? And I'm surprised Hannah didn't get up there and just like slap him. Like, what are you talking about? Of course I'm not drunk. Like, so she is, I don't know if you ever prayed like this, where you don't like, you can't say it out loud, but you're just so moved that you just start mouthing it. And I think the Spirit is just maybe uttering something that you can't utter yet. Because you don't know what to say. It's the, the situation is so grim. You've reached your boiling point. That's where Eli meets Hannah right now. In a deep, sorrowful prayer. And he has the nerve to ask if she's drunk. How would you feel if you were Hannah? The person that's supposed to probably care the most about you spiritually does not at that moment. Thankfully, some sense comes into Eli. He's like, oh, she's just praying. Hey, whatever you're praying about, I'm going to join in with you. And he blesses her prayer. But I can only imagine before he blesses it, I think Hannah feels like God has forgotten her because people she respects think she's crazy. I'm going to repeat that. Hannah feels like God has forgotten her because people she respects think she's crazy. And this is like the rise in tension in the story. Will God hear Hannah's prayer? Let's go back to the scripture. 
looking in verse 19. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew his wife, or knew Hannah his wife, meaning they had sex. And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Has the Lord forgotten Hannah? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. How do we know? I think on the surface, we can see in this verse, oh, he answered her prayer. She can now bear a son. She has one. But if you've seen Endgame, you know that time travel is possible. So... We're going to do some time travel just a little bit back in the scripture. You can do that when you read your Bible. You can go back a couple verses. And we're going to see, did the Lord just move now? Or has he always been at work? Amen. That's the right answer. Yes. He didn't just show up right now. You don't believe me. Here we go. The Lord has always been at work. First occasion, We've, we see it right here in the early verses. The Lord closed her womb. And I know that may not sound like a great thing. And I know on human, in, in our humanity, I know that's a horrible thing. But he's present. The Lord closed her womb. Watch what he's going to do. The Lord is at work again through her imperfect husband. Any imperfect husbands out there? Okay, cool, okay. Great. Hey, the Lord can still use you. The Lord can still use you. I know it. Because throughout this entire passage, Elkanah is the one leading his family spiritually. If you notice, they're going up to the temple year after year. Not only is he doing that, he's like, oh, I know sacrifice is important. Not just for me, but for the rest of my family. Hey, you, Hannah, I love you more. You're going to get more to offer the Lord. So he keeps his family in front of the Lord. The Lord is at work through this imperfect husband. Ah, yes. And even through the silly priest named Eli. Even though he said she was drunk at first, do you notice that he's the one that blesses the prayer? And what that looks like for us today is, oh, you hear a prayer request, man, I'm going to intercede on your behalf. Someone texts you a prayer request, you don't be like, okay, I'll pray and then don't pray. No, Eli actually is praying with her. God sends community, sends people, his people. The Lord is at work. The Lord has not forgotten Hannah. He has not forgotten her. And here's just a, an important point. Because I know there may be some in here that are thinking, like, oh, man, like, I've been trying to get the Lord's attention for a long time, and, and nothing has happened. But I wonder this, though. 
The book of James says that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Notice Hannah's faith. Through every hurt, pain, distress, circumstance, she is still praying and worshiping the Lord. She hasn't stopped that just because of her circumstance. She's kept going. Every time we hear from her, she's praying. Or try to tell some fool, get away from me, I'm praying. So this is a huge distinction. Because some of us feel like God has forgotten about us, but our actions reveal that we have forgotten God. We feel like God has forgotten about us, but our actions reveal that we have forgotten God. We also know that Hannah is still going to church. She's still giving some of her portion. She's still in community. She's still praying, still worshiping. I challenge you. Can you do that in the midst of some really hard stuff in that's going on in your life. Maybe some really hard stuff that's going on in this church. Can you still seek the Lord? Hannah's response is mind-blowing. Hannah's response is mind-blowing. We see it in verses 21 through 28. But just to summarize, this miracle baby that comes, she doesn't just like hoard him to to herself or to the family self. She does something crazy. She gives him back to the Lord. I come from a single mom. My mom is not letting me go for anything. But Hannah, who hasn't had a child her whole life, now can give it back to the Lord? We're going to have to talk about that. Not only does she, like, give her child back to the Lord, she's eager to do it. Look at verse 22. Elk and I, her husband, is like, hey, you going to come with us to the temple? No, no, I got to get the child ready. I got to get him ready because when he goes, he's going to stay. So I got to, like, wean him off. I got to make sure he's potty trained, everything. He's ready. She does that. And then in 26 and through 28, she actually follows through. She actually gives him to the Lord. And I just wonder, I just wonder, how many of us are praying for something from the Lord but aren't willing to give it back to the Lord? I wonder how many of us are praying for like a promotion or a new job, but then when we get it, we forget that we're like Christian. Or we forget that like, oh man, I'm supposed to represent God here. Supposed to give this back to the Lord, or I just like stop giving. Or maybe some of us are actually praying for children. But then when they come, they become our God. And we don't train them up in the ways of the Lord. Maybe some of us are praying for our neighbor's salvation. But what we're secretly wanting is when they do come to Christ, man, that, that they become like me and not like Jesus. Maybe some of us are praying for a degree from Northwestern. And we're like, man, I just can't wait to graduate. But then when we graduate, we don't do anything with that degree that builds God's kingdom. 
I just wonder, could we be the people who give back to the Lord once he answers our prayer? I love this story because I see Christ so clearly. Hannah is a faithful Christ-type figure. Let's revisit some of those feelings that she was feeling about God. Hannah feels like God has forgotten about the cruel or has forgotten about her because of cruel bullying coming her way and her state of depression. Christ went through something similar. Wasn't he mocked and ridiculed? Wasn't he depressed to the point that he started sweating blood? Hannah feels like God has forgotten her because no one, not even her spouse, understands her. In fact, she, she feels a sense of betrayal from her God-given relationship. Christ wasn't even believed by his own family. Also, he was abandoned by his best friends when he needed them. Hannah feels like God has forgotten her because, people, because the people she respects think she's crazy. Oh man, a lot of people thought Jesus was crazy. Even the most religious leaders thought he was crazy. Some people in this room right now think he's crazy. But here's the good news. But just like Hannah, who was enduring all of this suffering and turmoil with the hope of a child one day, Christ endured the suffering of dying on a cross so that all who would receive him, all who would believe in his name, he would give the right to become children of God. Just a little microcosm of something greater, that we could be God's children through Christ's faithful obedience to God and him enduring suffering. So because the Lord remembers us, we can go to him in what I call like ugly prayer. That like you just crying, ah, like ah, you don't even have words. You're just so mad. You're so frustrated. He welcomes it. He's like, I'm here for that. Come on. Man, because the Lord remembers us, we can actually embrace suffering and trials. We don't have to fold or run away from them because he's with us. Because the Lord remembers us, we can actually endure persecution and ridicule. And so in closing, often life feels like a lonely game of sardines, as I mentioned earlier. We can hear people passing by, but no one knows where we're at. We don't seem to care that we're isolated. But thank God, the reality is that no matter how dark or quiet it seems to be, we are never alone. God has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Faith like Hannah, will keep bringing us back in prayer to God. Faith exclaims that they have never seen the righteous forsaken. 
Faith declares, oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts even from afar. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I could never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. And I love that the psalmist keeps going. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. How precious are your thoughts about me? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. Let me pray for us. Father, yeah, I just, I just confess that we are a people who can just so easily forget you. God, we let busyness and uh, the mundane or entertainment distract us from your presence. God, some of us are hurting and suffering right now but we're not hurting and suffering with you. We want to keep you on the outside. So Lord, I just pray for us, God, that in the midst of our hurting and suffering, we would include you. We would walk with you. We would cry out to you. We wouldn't stop praying like Hannah, God. We would keep praying like Hannah. God, help us to be a community that loves one another that spurs one another on to remind, to remind each other that you are mindful of us, that you haven't left us, and that you never will. Thank you, God, for, for Jesus, who always remains that steady rock, that when all doubts come, we know for a fact that he died and resurrected on our behalf. And that alone is proof that you love us, you see us, you care. Help us to embrace that, Lord. And I ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.